Good morning and welcome to Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick. Nothing ticks better than Pundit Friday, which are about to begin here in the WNHH studio with the number one pundits in the media universe, like the dairy-free goddess of our gastroots radio operation, the bell of our ball, the managing editor of the Inner City News and host of Love Babs, Love Talk, Babs, Rawls, Ivy. Good morning, Babs. Good morning. All right. We got the queen of quippery and the quintessence of compassion. Lavozzi Spana publisher Norma Rodriguez-Reyes. Hola. With her own Joe Ugly Mike this week. Joe Ugly is at a cannabis business conference. <laughs> cannabis. He's reaching the heights. So he's not here today. Oh. But someone is here who's very important. Oh, the flyest, the flyest news hunter-gatherer really, really this side of Fleet Street. Star New Haven reporter Markeisha Ricks. Happy Good morning, Friday, Markeisha. People. Well Good morning. Rested. And heavy D. Well Donald rested. Trump devotee Harry Dross. The bravest <laughs> man in New Haven. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Oh, it's Friday. It's Wakanda weekend. Wakanda weekend. Black right. and black, y'all. Wakanda forever. <laughs> so, <laughs> as I understand it, it's not just that every black person in the universe is lining up to see this movie, The Black Panther, this weekend, but it has already broken records for pre-sales. Only Star Wars has sold more tickets in advance before it opened. Than I, I don't even think, Star, I think they surpassed Star Wars. So tell me, what's this all about, surprised. folks? Because I'm kind of out in the either, because I don't like superheroes. I don't go to those kind of movies, and I'm not black. So what is it about Black Panther that has everyone so excited? Uh, black? Yeah, but what about it? I mean, Panther. there are other black movies, too. And it, it represents, I read this really great article, I think it was in the New York Times, which is, it really represents a wholeness for black people, where where we are well within ourselves, that we have all the capabilities that we need, that that. There, there's no no thing that is it has us downtrodden, right? We're we're victorious in in you can in be Black a strong Panther. character Ex- with control your own destiny, exactly, mm-hmm. and, and that the future is ours and we've already won it, right? Like it's and it's not a future that says you know other people can't exist here, but we're self sufficient, and it is kind of this representation of what Black the diaspora could be if it had been left alone. <laughs> now Babs is getting bored, even though she's been so excited about this thing. Is that you like it on a different level, just fun or what? No, I, I like it for all those, <laughs> and, for the ba- all those and the backstory is the comic started in the 60s. It was the first comic and pretty much the only superhero who's African-American, right? All the superheroes are oh, no, white there, all the time. There, there are bunch. other superheroes. There are a bunch now. Yeah. There was Blade. The there is Blank Man. Like, Storm is um, But Storm when it started a as a Marvel comic, I thought yeah. the idea was that it was inspired by the Black Panther Party. No, well, the it, Black Panther Party came afterwards. Black Panther Party was 1966. Oh. And this one came out in what sixty three? Black Panther. I yeah, I thought it was sixty three or sixty four. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's it was. Interesting. Yeah. The, the Black Panther Party was came like afterwards. Like it and wasn't. A, it wasn't long after. And there's but it a whole after. political story, right? With um, with this Wakanda, with this African nation, about this. There's a whole political backdrop to this African nation. Where this guy comes from, or am I missing something here? No, it it is. It's a. Uh, I mean, uh, what Wakanda is, just what Marquise said. What we, what we would imagine the diaspora to be like if folks left it alone mm-hmm. and there's a reason why wakanda is hidden it's hidden in the continent so you can't readily get there like it's not a place where you can oh. just like fall into it is deliberately hidden and and which is really interesting because in wonder woman the the island that these women are from is hidden and but they protect it because you could right. fall into because you could fall into it so 
This sounds fun. Oh, it's it is fun. It. And I think even if you don't like I've gone to I'm not someone who follows comics, but I like I think maybe it's because I like action movies. But like I've gone to several big and watched, you know, several of the I've watched Captain America. I've watched I've watched a lot of those and I enjoy them. Like I think there's something about, you know, this idea of of of, of people working on the side of good, these heroes who are fighting forces that And superpowers. And super yeah. and superpowers. That everyone can look at cool. and wish they had those superpowers. Because <laughs> I went back and watched the Captain America mm-hmm. film with the Black Panther, where, where the Black Panthers that makes introduced. His, like, yeah, his first appearance. And uh, and I thought, man, oh yeah, man. Yeah, I remember how taken I was. And I, saw, <laughs> I was like, oh. And that's why the buzz has been, like, people have been building toward this buzz for two whole years. Yeah. And, and it's, it's just gotten bigger. You know what I, I, what I really appreciated about this? To me, this was something long overdue. This should have been, this should have been done many years ago. Well, Not there's this always this idea that, you know, you can't have a movie with a bunch of black characters that non-black people are going to go see. So people are like, oh, that's not going to make money. It's not true. But that is uh, that is constantly the assumption of Hollywood. And then people prove them wrong. And over then they and still again. all of a sudden get amnesia and say, oh, we can't do a movie full of black yes. people. And you're like, are you kidding? Like, every I didn't black even realize that Blade had been like Blade was an R rated like superhero movie where you had Wesley Snipes starring as this kind of um, vampire slayer. He was a vampire and he was also <laughs> slaying vampires. And I didn't remember that movie being as successful as it was, but apparently it was hugely successful. Yeah. But you know, the other thing um, that that's very interesting, I, I like I've been seeing the dynasty. Okay. And a lot of new movies nowadays have people of color in love with white folks and, this ain't that and movie. kissing Whereas years ago, that was definitely a no-no. Mm. And yet, my wife now and I, with the millennials and the young, uh, that's why I say a lot of things is generational. And it's also with that it's more people, people's experience. Expected. More people are coming up in families that are multicultural. Now, the other thing that, you know, it's really, to me, Disney. Because D- Disney should have come up with something like this. I think now is the time. I don't, I don't, you I know? think the time is now. I think it's ripe now. I think um, the young director is amazing. He's got a good eye and feel for this. I think, um, you know, Reggie Hudlin and Roxanne Gay and Tanishi Coates all wrote for the Black Panther and the, I mean, you know, for the comic. For the new comic. For the new comic. And so that fueled a little bit of, you know, this notion of we could be black and proud and beautiful. and And also what is apparently pretty radical about this movie is that, like, the black people are black people. They don't, they're not light skinned black people and they're, they're very dark hued brown and deeper. And that would have been unheard of to cast that many dark skinned people in a film, in a film. where they weren't, where like, they're you making know, decisions Tarzan. and they're not exactly, they're not portrayed <laughs> as slaves or like, yeah. like I don't think we've seen that many black people on TV since roots. <laughs> but I, I think, I also think that, you know, we, um, especially the Latino community, we need to see, people that look like us as heroes also absolutely and for instance absolutely. disney did um the first princess elena okay what was it like la- la- two years ago yeah, I think that's right. um do we have any latino superheroes i would say yes but like for whatever reason they've not made it to the mainstream it might they might not be a part of like the marvel universe i and see again i don't know comic books like that to know that mm-hmm. but also i think about you know who in puerto rico has created a superhero that we don't even know about because it's Puerto Rico and people in this country pretend that Puerto Rico isn't a, a part of the United States. Now this weekend in New Haven, African American community, there are a whole bunch of events surrounding this movie, right? 
I mean, yeah, I hear it's like uh, Babs talking about you're even gonna get all dialed up for this thing. I mean, what, yes. What's going yeah. on? Well, I plan my Wakanda wardrobe. Mercy Quay has a um, uh, uh, we're going to Mercy Quay's um, showing screening of the film at tomorrow morning at Bowtie Cinemas. So there's gonna be one in the morning on Saturday morning. Yes, at Bowtie Cinemas. And then there's a brunch afterwards, and then oh, wow. Wakanda brunches. So this <laughs> becomes such a it's a Wakanda weekend, and then we're going. On Monday. Monday with our sorority sisters to see it again. That sounds really fun. Now, what kind of brunch gets really? Is that at a restaurant or what? It's going to be an anchor spa. Anchor spa. Do you know anchor spa? Yeah, yeah. We've got anchor spa. So oh, the, we're just going to continue the, the Wakanda way. The old yeah, anchor? yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Do- triple the prices. The old anchor. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, which run by an African American man who revived yes, it from New Carl. York went to Yale. Yep. Yeah. So is, you got to so, do this to get in. So this whole kind of social, <laughs> this whole kind of social activities take place around the movie. It's sort of a time for celebration in the community. Not it is, just and it's Black History Month, so there's that. Oh, that's right. That must yeah. be. Yeah. Tony C. Coates wrote the most recent Black Panther cartoons. He grew up comic books he grew up reading it at the same time he grew up in a house where his father was a former black panther growing up with a lot of black consciousness and he comic book freak and it seemed like those two and they became a famous writer terrific writer and then he was you know after doing all these political books he actually went into doing this comic mm-hmm. so i find that kind of interesting about the intersection of popular culture cartoons and political philosophy and you get to like you know work in the medium of your dreams of your childhood dreams right mm-hmm. Like you get to do that. That's got to be cool in its own. So next right. week, you guys let us know how the movie is. Well, you oh, let us know before that. And you know, we'll let you know. I'll be talking <laughs> about it on Monday, and we'll let our readers, our listeners, know that they're listening to Punted Friday on WNHHFM one hundred point five FM live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. So Lunar Fest is tomorrow as well. I wonder if it's going to get overshadowed. That's Chinese New Year. Oh, and there's a whole bunch of parades and everything in town from ten a.m. to five p.m. If you want to find out about it, it's YaleChina.org. YaleChina.org slash LunarFest. Or just look up LunarFest New Haven, L-U-N-A-R, like the moon. And I guess no one's going to really be talking about that, huh? I guess well, I bet Chinese the Chinese people will be talking about yeah, it. You know, I love the, the colorful scenes yeah. downtown with, with all these, uh, you know, every Chinese New Year they have the great... Um, and the dragons and all the yeah. different And the connection months. this year is we're going to have a sister city in China about to sign the papers. Oh, really? Andy Wolf is, is, oh, is going there to sign mm. the deal. And I love nice. that kind of citizen-citizen Do they need diplomacy. a reporter to go with them? I feel like they, that we need, you know, so like when we go to the state house, <laughs> that, you know, when our, our, our city Marquisha, has another. I was invited. And you said no? I, I, I hate traveling. I, I don't, and I have my passport, and it needs to be used. <laughs> so if they would like for me, and to I go, have my passport, and I certainly, I would could. volunteer. I could I volunteer. Believe tributes. it or not, the city's culture guy asked me if we wanted to do daily Andy, I New go. Haven, uh-uh. daily New Haven broadcasts from China. Harry, we could do that, right? I love Baz. Love talking China would be fly. Just but you know, think about the about potential China. audience. It, it it's the whole philosophy that I always keep saying about what makes New Haven the great city that it is, is the ethnic neighborhoods and also the na- ethnic foods. You know, we need to make sure that Wooster Street, you see what's happening with Wooster Street is that the what's Italians, happening on Wooster Street? The Italians that own the restaurant are older. Oh, yeah. And new Italians are yeah. not coming in. Except for one of the businesses by the uh, relative of Piazza Delito, I think it's a niece really? or something. Oh, just yeah. That kind of, I think or makeover grand place. Yeah. Which niece or something. Like? It's the, where the cafe, the blow bar it's where right the coffee there, bar used where to be. Where fuel used to yeah. be. Oh, the, the, it's, which one? 
where Cafe Fuel used to be. It's near um, Consiglio's, but oh, yeah, across yeah. the street, closer, right, right near Sally's. Yeah. But we're talking about the thoroughfare. You know, you have a lot of people from different places that always come, that want to come to New Haven because of Pepe's Pizza and also because of you know the Italian neighborhood. And it is interesting, Norma. You're right because that 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 neighborhood has gone through such a transition. First, it became the most popular new gay neighborhood in town. Then just <clears throat> yuppie neighborhood, Yale neighborhood, great. Because, you know, you walk the two seconds, you're downtown, but it's a beautiful neighborhood around that square and all the old houses and row houses. But yet it persists to have this Italian cultural identity and because the Italian societies that formed after people came from Amalfi and other parts of Italy remain. That's where you have the, the parades. St. Michael's Church is there, although it's, you know, its membership's declined. You have, um, and as Norma said, it's not just Pepe's and Sally's Pizza, but it's Consiglio's, it's... Uh, it's the pastry shop. It's I mean, there's a oh, whole yeah. Luther I, Street. I wish Grand Avenue Pescoli. had the same type of. I think it like, does have Latino c- culture. It, it does, but like that, it it becomes a place that is is like known for like it's known yeah. to us for that, but like as a destination for people to you know consider it a place where like oh like I know that there's all this food from every part yeah. of the diaspora. There. Which there is on Grand Avenue. And there is. And like, but there's no branding around it, is yeah. what I'm saying. It's like it's branded that, like Marcus, that for Worcester right. Square. Yeah. I wish there were some similar branding for so Grand what, Avenue. Because there are all those pastries question. there, all those restaurants there. So what do you think? Do you think it holds on to its Italian culture as the population? Well, how do they do it in New York? Is it just because Italians still live in those neighborhoods? So, but yeah. No, 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 but no. But I feel like Italian. I've been in like Little Italy and it doesn't feel very, Ita- other than the trappings of like saying this is Little Italy, it doesn't fairs. necessarily you know, feel when like. When I was director of the Atwater Senior Center, we used to do one year San Gennaro's Festival in New York. And I remember the last year, we we're talking about maybe eight, ten years ago. The last time I went there, I said... I'm darn if I'm going to come to an Italian festival to eat at a Chinese restaurant. Yeah, I because felt like I saw a lot of Chinese restaurants. That the a Chinese neighborhood has expanded even more into the Italian neighborhood, and therefore the Italian is just they've kept the names. The 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 mm-hmm. um, Chinese have bought the restaurant, and but and they've kept the name. But the food inside well, is Chinese food. No, no, the or food no, it's inside Italian food. is still Italian. Well, but that's why Fresh Taco are, is are, run by Asian folks. But it's 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 like fresh tacos downstairs. Yeah, you know you have fresh. Yeah, tacos. but you don't you have to be. Mexican, you don't have to be Italian to cook Italian food. No, that, uh, oh, what's happening in all the restaurants in New Haven or or just anywhere? You have the Ecuadorians are the ones who are cooking the but food. But if you don't have an Italian who can buy it or who wants to buy it because they want to live in Brantford or something, I don't know. Yeah. But like, like, what can you do? Like, if they're willing to, like, if there's somebody who's willing to come keep it alive, like, I just want people to keep their food traditions alive. Like, I don't care who does. It. Well, you know, I think that's actually the key, Marquisha, because now you have several generations of the Pepe family, the Casilios with Sally's. They don't live in that neighborhood, but they've kept the, the food tradition alive. But the yeah. kids don't want to do that. They, they, they've already gone to the universities. Their whole lifestyle is totally different. Being a restaurant owner is almost like being a slave. It's a lot of Just hours yourself, that you yeah. have to put in. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I you know, easy. I think it depends. Like, I think there are less people doing that, just like there are less people who go down their family tradition of farming as more education and technology get in the mix. And as people say, look, you don't want to live this life. Mm-hmm. Like, that's so many people's story in America that you don't want to live this hard life tied to a farm or tied to a family restaurant. Like, shout out to the <coughs> D'Amato Seafood folk. They're still a, a gen, like five generations of family members still running that place. But at some point, there might be people who don't want to run it and they want to sell their business. And, you know, the business stays and the people go. And I don't think we should do about that. It happens. We need to go to Italy. We need to develop economic development for the city of New Haven. Needs to seriously do some planning and bring in, import, 
just the same way they brought the Puerto Ricans here originally to come and farm the lands because the ones from here didn't want to farm the lands. And so God, therefore we the probably ringing? need to bring in from Italy. What is that? People that actually want to own these restaurants hey, and they can continue well, you to know, Norman, tell we them did like go it's to, not the real phone number because they're probably not actually faxing. We they're did, probably we, trying to call the place. We did go to Amalfi from New Haven 100 years ago when Yale was building its residential colleges and got the, the skilled masons. And that's how all those people came here and developed our Italian community. First, you know, you're talking about kids taking over the businesses and the restaurants. And it's a really interesting point. And we see both examples in Worcester Square. So the Consiglio family is not keeping Sally's. So they've sold it. Mm-hmm. But Pepe's, the family, the Bamonte still own it, and they've created a whole chain. So maybe the answer, if the kids go to college and have higher ambitions, is you Figure brand out to keep it, it and you make yeah. it a whole, a whole chain, That's a whole business. That's probably a idea. You know, Paul, franchise. talk about um, Yale colleges and the building. Do you know back in the days when these Italians came here that they were excellent um, masons, they would compete with each other for the um, the the chimneys that they would build the the the, the facades of the chimneys, they would compete with each other, and that's why Yale has such beautiful art pieces. Oh yeah, all those great work progress administration. So they weren't paid for that, but I also think to compete with also each other. what's changing is that like a we, we live we're we're living in a country that is fast about to approach a project of maybe an immigration solution. Where like you have to have certain status to immigrate here, right? Like, mm-hmm. so we're not gonna import somebody who just wants to like open a restaurant. Like, we're we're not gonna we're not trying to attract those people. We you need you need to have a degree. Masters. You need to be a doctor. Like, you you need to have some type of profession that we think is the only kinds of professions that add to the United States. And when culture. you look at New Haven's revival downtown and other cities, like in the D.C. area, when they'd open new uh, subway stop and or metro stop, you'd have all the businesses. Often it is those immigrants who. Through restaurants mm-hmm. that start the revival of an urban area, absolutely, any place near transit. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think the Italian story is any different than anybody else's the community Ethiopian of story. people. The Ethiopian mm-hmm. story, you know, the African American story, because you know, at some point, uh, Dixwell Newhallville is going to start to look a lot different <laughs> than what it looks now. Uh, how much different? I, I don't know. So, I mean, I think you, you'll start to see communities. I mean, you'll start to see people leave and come back and leave and come back. And, and you know, that's just the evolution of, 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 of you know, where people want to live and where they want to migrate to. You know, talk about Dixwell. See, we have um, now African-Americans that are calling to advertise in La Voz Hispana that they have apartments available. Because what's happening with the new immigrants that are coming in um, they don't know about neighborhoods. See, people who have lived here, they're already, oh, that's a bad neighborhood. Oh, that's an African-American neighborhood. Oh, that's a Latino neighborhood. So they don't, they don't want to live there. Whereas the new Latinos, they don't understand that because the countries that they come from, everybody is the same. So now what's happening is we have a large Latino wave that has moved into African-American neighborhoods. And so therefore, since a lot of the African-Americans are moving into Hamden and they're moving into West Haven, then what's happening is all the new immigrants the people from ecuador from peru from colombia they're the ones who are renting in these neighborhoods now hmm. that's interesting because i haven't noticed, i haven't that is really interesting because i wonder yeah. if you're now a little ahead of the curve that we haven't noticed yet because i have not noticed visually a big difference in dixville and new Hallville. oh uh, no i've noticed the difference yeah. yeah oh yeah the yeah i mean opening up i stuff. i see i see a, uh uh the the look and feel of it is starting to change um, very much in that in that community. It's so. like East Shore, uh, and East Shore Italians are not renting there anymore. 
it's all it's it's and the annex it's all latinos from different you know cultures I mean, from different languages. And it's all the pundits on Pundit Friday and WNHHFM <laughs> 103.5. You're home for community radio. You're listening to the Week in Review news show on the New Haven Independent with the best pundits in the media universe. This week, both Wilbercross kids and Hill House High School kids had their moments in the sun. Marquisha was up in Hartford when there was a hearing on a bill to free up money from a student fund that gives scholarships to kids at state colleges and universities. Right now, if you go to state college and university, you pay a fee that goes into a fund to give kids financial aid. So if you're an undocumented immigrant, you pay into that fund. But if you're an undocumented immigrant, you can't get money from that fund for your own financial aid. So there's a proposal to change that. I guess, Marquisha, you saw a whole bunch of kids came up from Wilbur Cross, some of whom were undocumented immigrants and some of whom were documented, correct? Correct. And what did you see? You were kind of impressed by the way they, they spoke right to the lawmakers. Were they poised? Were they, did they feel like America's their country? Um, it, it wasn't any... Um I, I wouldn't say whether like poised or not poised, like they, they had, you know, written down what they were going to say to the lawmakers, but they also, you know, the lawmakers asked them some questions. Um, and some of them, you know, have stories like this one little girl that's in the lead <clears throat> of my story. Like she, she crossed the border alone to meet her mother. Oh my and God. And you're like, from, like if some, from Guatemala. And so like, if a kid was who, she, she was that. 13. Oh my so, God. So like, like anything I know how happen. people feel about the immigration issue, but like to, to meet a kid, who has done that. And we've got a number of kids in our community who that's their story. Like, I'm not even thinking about the trauma. I'm just thinking of the strength of the kid who survives that. Like that's, a, it's, a, it's an, it's amazing. I know people want to talk about it being illegal and whatever, but like, and like that kid. And then she's like, I'm, I'm in school. I'm learning English. I want to go to, to, to school. Like, and people are like, Oh, well, you know, can't you just go to like, I think, one lawmaker asked somebody else, like, can't you just go back to like, like, have you considered going to college in your country? Well, if you give me that money from the pot and so I can take it, maybe. But I thought someone got scared going back in the country about yeah, there because there are violence yeah. and, and other issues of, of why people leave. But like it, it, it was just it was powerful me, for me to hear the stories of what people do to come to this country and to hear them out of the mouths of children. Because we always <laughs> think about the adults who rightly know whatever it is that they might be doing to come to the country. But we don't think about the children and, and the fact that some of them are experiencing that on their own. What a thing for a high school student. And it's so powerful to have like a high school student be like, say, I'm going to be courageous enough to that's speak a, to these lawmakers. An, that's an ornate place. It's, it's awe-inspiring when you're at the Capitol. I feel almost like I'm in a Disney um, land of, of lawmaking there. You're in a different world. You know, all the gilded... Features and they're always really clean and the well, not in the LOB. It's it's kind of different oh, in the LOB because LOB is more modern, yeah, so, so they're not testifying yeah. like on the, the in the well of the state house yeah. and speaking to the whole crowd of legislators yeah. as they look at them. No, there's they are speaking it like it is almost like court though. That's that's what I get when you're at an LOB hearing in the legislative office. Yeah, building. it does. It feel, feels yeah. like court, and you have these lo- like these legislators who are sitting on these high rows looking down at you as you testify, and so you're like a little like sixteen year old kid. And, you know, this one little girl, she had her little paper. And so she didn't realize that, like, once you give your testimony, that they get to ask you questions. So she read her little thing and she was about to run away. And they were like, no, no, please come back. Like, come on back. We got questions. She answered one question. She got re- ready to get up again. And she's like, they're like, nope, one more question. And it's different from if your kid go up. Exactly. It's exciting enough if it's like going there to be recognized as your Boy Scout troops, you know, made a lot of knots or something and then it's another thing to say that you're in the middle of I a hot I'm button issue treated unfairly and you're in the middle of a hot button issue you're trying to convince adults with power to change the laws of their state 
And that's that's a heavy order. And I think what a a civics lesson. What a civics lesson. I was really impressed. We tend to judge based on how wide our world is. For instance, I have changed my views and values because I was one. They're here illegal. They need to go back. You know, because I had I didn't have any friends. I hadn't met anyone personally until I came here to La Voz and I started listening to their stories. And when you listen to their stories, you can't help it but cry. You also because, can't help but think, why in the world would we not want these people to be in our country? You know, the what they have done to sacrifice themselves to get here. And many of us just don't appreciate it because we have it all the time. As a matter of fact, you know what? I just had an opportunity to interview three doctors from Puerto Rico and listened like I kind of had wanted to protect myself and my emotions and not get too involved in watching what's going on. Because once you start watching, it really affects you. And I just want to protect myself. And seeing this doctor cry, I mean, it just tore well, you're my not talking out. about immigration now. What you're talking about no, something else. No, we're talking about the situation that happened After over Hurricane there. Maria, and this week there were a lot of families who were about to be sent back who were getting emergency housing here. Mm-hmm. And FEMA, which is paying the bill, said their houses were now fine to go back to them for a variety of reasons. They said they weren't. Whether they, Like FEMA says electricity, they say there's a generator that can't um, fuel the uh, the emergency medical help I need, <clears> mechanical <throat> help. And and uh, But that guy, they, got a, they got a one-month reprieve. The state came through with the money. Juan Condelaria's state rep got that money. Yeah, And so when you listen to their stories, you definitely can relate because you say to yourself, oh, my God, imagine if my kids or my it was my brother or my sister going through what these people have to go through in order to come here to America. So the different the Hill House attention was different. So in Hill House mm-hmm. High School at City Hall yesterday on Thursday, the mayor invited 19 Hill House High School students who not only took advanced placement t- classes, but passed the test. And they've been emphasizing getting more kids to take AP classes, get them ready for colleges in, in, the, in the city. What was interesting to me about that was that in the past, when you saw Hill House kids at City Hall, it's because they were in athletics. It's usually like the championship mm-hmm. baseball team or the basketball team, or not baseball, basketball team or, or the football team. And then I went to one last year where uh, the mayor recognized, she made a point that the girls' teams got recognized too. But they said they're making a point of saying academics are going to count as much as athletics at Hill House. The principal, Glenn Worthy, has been working hard at that. And they're trying to make kids who excel in academics get the same kind of recognition athletes. Trying to make them cool? Yeah. I mean, Kermit Alexander, uh, Cal- <laughs> Kermit Calif- Carolina, when he was the old principal, he actually started doing that. He started giving letters out. But I thought that was a neat thing. And these 19 kids, some of them are doing computer coding. One of them wants their business. I actually told our reporter, um, uh, Christopher Peake, that he felt a real boost from being at City Hall, meeting the mayor, and felt like he actually said he felt this is going to give me an extra boost to pursue my dream of starting a, a tech company. <laughs> you know, who knows how long it lasts. But but I kind of like the message that was giving about, you know, that it's hard not only give AP, but it gets kids passing the courses. That is a level of academic rigor. But I remember, you know, when you look at Cross, has its AP track. And that used to be the kids with parents who have means, right, in, in a big school that wasn't doing well for a lot of years. And there was always this AP track. My kids went through it. And you know, as a parent, those are going to be the good courses where they really throw down. And I, I, lo- I love to see it being expanded in house. I love to see the kids get their recognition. I think I, I like the idea of expanding AP courses and allowing more kids uh, to, to show their them. ability. And it's not just the challenge. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. AP might be very different from, from what it was when I was in high school <laughs> back in the 90s. 
Um, but like there, it wasn't so much that <clears throat> the to me at least it, I didn't see that the rigor was any more rigorous than the the college course prepar- oh, like college course because yeah. we had a college well we we had voc vocational college prep and then AP in addition. So, and you had to kind of be tracked into those AP cats. And you're like, well, if I'm already in college prep, why are we making a distinction? Why can't all kids in college prep take and enroll in an AP course? But it's, it's like with so many, we had a year's worth of preparation for how to take the advanced placement tests. So you're going to experience all the types of questions, like the tests that you take every time you take a test are the same types of questions. They're not the exact questions, obviously, but they're the same types of questions. So you're prepping to take the test if you have a good teacher you are still learning stuff in addition to just memorizing things and how to kind of game the test at the same time though what's beautiful about advanced placement is it it does result if you get enough high high enough score on the test it results in you getting college credit well i think that's great if you're a kid who's planning to go to college with the added expense of what it costs to go to college these days yeah my kids you, cost less you, for college you want to you want to enter in yeah. At a, already with some credits under your belt because yeah. that's less credits you have to pay for. And if you can get those in <laughs> high school, hurrah, go do it. And, you know, for the kids who are, you know, taking college, like classes at Gateway while they're going to high school, like that's smart because the money, like you're still a high school student. So I, they may not, either the school system is, is making that transaction, but you're not paying for it. Mm. So again, you get credits under your belt that you don't then have to pay for at some point. And the teachers so have always tried to prevent tracking because historically in New Haven, and not long time ago history, disproportionately the AP classes are white in schools that are black, traditionally black and brown, I mean, predominantly. There was this one teacher back in the 90s and in, in, in arts in New Haven at Wilbercross named Ms. Rodriguez, Ms. Rod, who was the all-star. And because she was of color as a teacher, she was able to attract a lot of people in her AP psych. My kids took her class. She was an amazing teacher. She had some kind of magic where... The kids not only took it, but they all passed. And all the AP teachers, there's this kind of excitement as the, and pressure as the AP classes are coming. But unlike a standardized test like the SAT, they do it as a team where they get pizza together, they have extra study sessions, and you are learning a lot more in that process. It's not like... We didn't the, do that the, in the, our the, classes still passed. So I think I salute Hill House, <laughs> so, and I hope they, I hope they really soar. You know, that's the happy news. And, you know, as, as we get a new superintendent, Carol Burks, in, in New Haven, Tony Hart, the mayor, is saying, now can we focus on what's going to help kids in these ways rather than fighting about who gets hired superintendent. This week, something happened that made me think that Carol Burke's is actually being set up for failure. I think she's coming into an impossible situation. I'll tell you what I think that situation is. Most of us who look at the budget situation, the Board of Ed, with declining state aid, we just found out that $10 million is going to have to very quickly be cut from next year's budget. And it's not money you're going to get the year after. And there's another $9 million from this year you have to make up. Most people who look at this believe you have to close some of the smaller schools and combine them. We have so many high schools. and We have, we have Creed, which is a special school that has 220 kids for a high school. We pay to have those facilities. For years, people felt that there are a bunch of New Haven schools that could be combined to save money so that you're not cutting on school or teachers. You know, overhead facilities. And every time it comes up, some of the kids come up or parents say, hey, don't close my school. And you care. And they should be able to speak this democracy. But, you know, if they represent 100% of the people looking at the problem, they're 100% of the people who show up and then it never happened. So now there's going to be no choice but to make it happen. Everybody knows that's the end game. There's going to be no choice but to close some schools. That did not happen before Carol Burks came in as superintendent. She starts next month. So Carol Burks comes in. And she's really going to have no choice, I believe. I could be wrong, because I'm just a reporter, and we always think we know what we're talking about. It comes out some other way. 
I think there's going to be no response because Tony Harper's made it clear she's going to be responsible. She's been responsible about this budget since she's been the mayor. And as a result, we're the only city in Connecticut that's not in any kind of financial crisis. She's made it clear that's going to continue. And they're not going to weasel their way out of this budget problem with the Board of Ed. And they're not going to do it in a way to hurt kids. So there's really no doubt, I think, that they're going to have to cut some schools. But Carol Burke's going to walk in on day one, and that hasn't happened yet. And it's going to be announced. And you're going to see everything break loose. And everybody goes, some guy about education is going to use the people who legitimately care about it because their school might close and they'll become the poster children for this horrible thing being done. All sorts of other agendas are going to be attached to it. And I don't feel sorry for her. She's taking a job that pays a lot of money. She's taking on a tough job. She knows it's a tough job. But boy, what a test coming in. I, I mean, mean I, it would have been anybody, not just her. I mean, I'm, I agree. That's not with but her. I think what Paul's saying, <laughs> they could have done that in the interim. I they think they should have done all these things her. so that she could come in without that weighing on this top of her. This is the board of it. They should have, but they should have set the table. This is the, the board table. of it. They've not done anything in the interest of children that I know of. The new superintendent's <laughs> going to have a tough enough challenge getting everyone behind her. It's yes, hard tea. to run situ- organizations when the money gets tighter because you have to say more uh, yeah. no. <laughs> so to not have set the table with the toughest, obvious first solution everybody knew how to happen for years i know but why it's the board of ed have they ever been thoughtful or contemplative or on the side of best interest of anybody well, it's interesting now that there's a majority that's securely in place so no one's gonna be able to fight about who controls the place and now that this group has started in town to keep watch on them of parents and it's gotten so political there's been a declaration by them that we're going to try to be more responsible now. For the first time, they've said no to no-bid contracts that came up while they're going to review them. For the first time, they said, we're going to talk openly about possibly closing school, and in one week, we you want to plan Yoda for You know Yoda from million. Star Wars? You know, remember Yoda? <laughs> there is no try. There's only do. Mm-hmm. Right, so we'll see whether the proof is in the pudding. But they're saying for the first time they're going to do it. Mm. Let's see if they do. Let's hope they do. All right, I'm James Baldwin. I can't believe what you say. Yeah. Because I see what you do what we do or is, don't do <laughs> but what we do do and i'm not again listen i just my dream paul is that this board of ed just becomes the board of ed of our dreams <laughs> but what about the tough decision of closing schools would you close schools uh, if, if if it warrants it this, when you're in those positions you got to make the tough decisions that's comes with it if is it a tough decision to shut schools uh probably but what's the end result like we're not we're not talking about shutting Wilbur Cross. We're talking about shutting smaller schools. And some of these schools could be combined. Yeah. Or they could share space. You know, they could share space. But you also if you combine them, you have less overhead. Not that it's not there's not as much fat as people think. A lot of these ministries and teachers really scrambled to do what would be a couple of people's jobs. But I think if you, West Rock Academy was part of, you know, school because I'm I'm told there are spaces. I'm not advocating that because I'd like to see what she what this new superintendent comes in. And sort of sees with fresh eyes, you know what I mean? Because there's something to be said for fresh eyes, mm-hmm. um, and 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 uh, cre- looking for a solution with new eyes and a new sense of okay, new well, how about this? Sweeps well. <laughs> yes, well, I think maybe one rule going forward is that we don't personalize it. So Carol Burks is coming in next month as superintendent. We know she's in a very difficult situation, but she asked for the job. But when the hell breaks loose, when these tough decisions get made and some people have to be told, no, let's not make it about the people who are making decisions. Let's make it about the merits of the situation. When the going gets tough, 
the tough get going. Mm-hmm. And the tough get punditizing. Because this, oh, is, this is Pundit Friday <laughs> on WNHH, which you're listening to, where we run down the headlines of the week and look behind them at 103.5 FM, live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. So Community Action Agency. Oh. Now, when I, now you just heard a sigh from Babs Earl's Ivy. Oh. <laughs> for, for my whole adult lifetime, anytime someone has said Community Action Agency, you heard, oh. But there are two different ways that that, oh, got elicited. Until 10 years ago, it was always about corruption. There were always political fights on that board. It's usually blacks against Latinos for power. But there was a separate avenue of just rampant corruption in this agency that's one of our biggest anti-poverty agencies. They get the federal dollars funneled through the state to give you emergency home heating, to get meals on wheels, pro- training programs. And do you remember there was this one guy who was, um, something to do with, he had a, a friend who worked there and they were pretending people were buying tons of envelopes for community <laughs> accidents and he got millions of dollars that was supposed to be for poor people. <laughs> he got arrested and he was buying homes in New Hallville, poverty <laughs> homes. He was Winford Rimmer's oh. uh, landlord. And yet he bought Winford Rimmer all his painting tools and took him to the South for a field trip that got him started on his career. It's a very complicated situation. But in any case, until about 12 <laughs> years ago, the stories about CAA, Community Action Agency, were about corruption. The federal government came and raided the place. I happened to walk by when they were doing it on Whaley, carting out the did. boxes. <laughs> but that hasn't been the case. Nobody is saying the place is corrupt or dirty, but it has less and less money to do its job because government's cut back. Mm-hmm. So when when a new team took over at CAA, I named Amos Smith and a whole bunch of new team, they had an old debt they had to pay. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. But it's not like they make money, right? Right. But they had one program that generated excess revenue because they provided a service they could pay for. One program, that's one program that allowed them to use that extra money for whatever purposes to, to support the agency, and that was weatherization. It came from the utility companies. They used that money, even though they would rather use it to provide more services for people or strengthen their organizations, because there's no give, right, in your organization. They used it to pay back this debt to, to another agency for the Meals on Wheels program. Because something fishy happened with Meals on Wheels a long time ago, more than 12 years ago. Uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I think it was millions maybe. But in any case, they, there's 60000 left on that debt. But they can no longer pay the debt because everything's changed with all the budget crises in Hartford. They changed the weatherization program so you get a lot less money for it. There's no extra money to it. And government pays its bills later than it used to the nonprofits. They hold your <coughs> money back, but you still provide the service and have to pay your people. So two Fridays ago, suddenly the place <coughs> closed. They couldn't meet payroll. The other agency went to the court, got a warrant, drained their bank account, Liberty Bank, because they owed them all the money. And then Liberty Bank said, holy cow, you got a problem, we're going to drain all your other money because you have a line of credit with us. So the place shut down, and it was cold. People needed emergency. <coughs> so now they're trying to save the place. It's back open partially. They've gotten some of the money back. There's this whole question how the bank was. But you know, some people, when you're looking at it closely, you could always find criticisms of the agency. But when Tony Harp looked at this, the mayor, she said the bigger issue here is that as the screws get tightened on agencies that help the poor, they're going to fight with each other because there's not enough money to get along, mm-hmm. go around. And she wished that the state had forgiven that debt that's, for the that's, meals That's where wheels. I'm at. Like, if it's $60,000 less, that's, like, if, if this was CAA Corporation, like Alexion or some old foolishness, that, this debt would have been forgiven that's and her all point. She and says millions all and millions have well forgiven. Just tax forgiveness to just, companies. That's yeah. it. We, we give them but millions. We do it all the time. And Why didn't said, we do it for this? This was a misunderstanding how the money was spent. And this, but what the state says is it wasn't a misunderstanding. This is federal money the state distributes that went to poor people for Meals on Wheels that didn't go to them. And they say they're actually rules. We can't just forgive it. Tony Harp says, yes, you can. Yes, you can. And I think <laughs> you could do anything. So, sorry, what I think was interesting about that on the day that that happened, I was at that meeting where all of these nonprofits were 
telling state legislators, stop cutting us, right? And they were saying, like, think of us as businesses, think of us as innovators and job providers in the state and put the type of investment in us that you're putting in all these companies that can kind of come and go as they please as you try and to attract them And come and go and take your money and bounce. Exactly. And so like an investment would be if there is a situation like that where there's an agency that's struggling. I'm sure Amos probably would have been at that meeting if he were not dealing with what he was dealing with. But like where instead of if there was a risk that they were going to close or that somebody could just kind of another agency could just come and get their money because they're like, we're, we're, we got to operate too. Like instead of working with them to say, and maybe it's not debt forgiveness, maybe they still have to pay that. Like the whoever has is supposed to get their money back that they get it back. But if you're going to cut an agency like you, you, what happens is the state says, oh, well, this is less money we have to expend if we just cut this agency. But like it's not like the money, the <laughs> spending of the money happens somewhere else, some other type of way. So it's like, how do you can you add that money is like, well, they got this they need we need them to provide these vital services the money that we were gonna go spend somewhere else let's put it here mm-hmm. so that, like, i found in your like article. they're gonna spend the money it was this thing you you covered that conference science park where state not for poverty were saying legislators look can you just raise some money all you're doing is cutting cutting us to meet your budget problems and this is going to cost you in the end there was a republican state legislator there who comes from a not-for-profit background and does care about those issues she said well why don't we just take more of our state services and have you guys do it and that'll save the state money and get the services done. And the response for Democrats like Tony Harp is that there are two problems with that. One is you're just trying to save money short by paying people less. But if you're paying people less to work at group homes or deliver other services, they're not necessarily going to be as good at it. And you're not going to deliver it as well. And you're going to have bigger problems. It's just a way of trying to get out of and paying And you're compounding the problem with those, those nonprofits there said of their employees. And some of their employees were there to say, look... There are instances where I'm helping get people back into the workforce. I've gotten them into treatment and now they're ready to go back in the workforce. They're going to go out and make more money than I make at this job helping them. And so I'm struggling. (laughs) I can't afford a house. I'm trying to raise a couple of kids and make sure that they have what they need. And so that they don't end up in a system where they then thus need help from the same system that I'm trying to feed them with. So it is a very vicious circle. So, you know, if the state were going to have to do that, that money that they're saving is not, in fact, saved money. They're going to spend it somewhere else. And so they might as if they're going to do something like that. And there are cases where the state is giving certain services to nonprofits. You have to send the money to. Yeah. The other concern Tony Hart raised was that years ago when they first started contracting out to not for profits, she said we were reassured, meaning the legislators from cities, that that doesn't mean we're going to cut them over time. Mm. But she said they did. So that becomes a way to gradually every year you just cut back what you're spending out and you're actually providing less service in the end. Mm-hmm. She feels it should be enshrined in government. Government should just do it well, but pay people for it. So I don't know. These are tough. These are tough. 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 Tough questions. The uh, they're like there's a tough question. A really surprise move out of nowhere with just a little whimper this week from the union organizing graduate student teachers at Yale, local 33 of Unite here. So for 27 years they've been trying to organize them, and I guess they just don't want it. In case they finally won out of 57 or 59 Yale departments, they won elections in I think it was eight of them and they wanted permission to have that be their you know eight little unions and Yale was saying to the National Labor Relations Board no it has to be one union and they should have to be in all the you know run for an election in all the 59 departments 57 departments and this was going to break new make new law if the ruling was going to be you could have it in your eight micro units when President Obama was president and appointed people to the NLRB there were a series of rulings that helped these union these university graduate student teachers organized and the unions were getting going. 
But now Donald Trump is appointing people Ugh. who are anti-labor. <laughs> so now after we, we had so much drama with this, so much was consumed in New Haven streets, block, protests, celebrities and politicians, hunger fasts, um, demonstrations, arrests in the streets for disobedience for months, all over the last year, trying to get this union recognition. But then without telling anyone, they quietly withdrew their whole request to be recognized by the NLRB because they said, uh-oh, we're never going with Trump. We're going to have to retrench. We're starting over. That's it's, smart. Yeah. I mean, because you, you, you already know. And yeah. if this guy is staying president for four years, it, it's, a losing, it's, a, it's a losing battle. Like, yeah. they're not going to be anywhere remotely close to sympathetic to this issue. If anything, they'll have a great deal of so after the noise and, and after the noise and drama, which I don't know if they had so much sympathy in New Haven, to tell you the truth. I, yeah. I think there are very good arguments to have a union there, but yeah. it wasn't it wasn't such a popular. Yeah. But in any case, there was I love my favorite conspiracy on this, but from one unnamed conspiracy minded politician. I don't think this is about I love the conspiracy theory. So Unite Here is the union organizing the Yale grad student workers. They're also the other Yale unions. They're very powerful political union. They're usually at war with people like Trump, right? Because they're pro union. This politician, I won't say the gender, said, Well, but you know what? The big fight now Unite Here has is to try to help MGM start a casino in Bridgeport. And MGM <sighs> can do that if they can beat the Native American tribes and if we can undo our treaty. They have this whole history of like undoing. I was going to say, we have a whole history of breaking treaties. I know, but no one has mentioned this in this whole mess. Now friends. MGM is trying to get legislators to stop another tribe from being allowed to go ahead with a, a, <laughs> a casino in, in East Windsor. Damn, why? The, the reason they want to stop the tribes. <laughs> is that MGM has another casino in Springfield, Mass., so they don't mm -hmm. want the competition. So they're trying to use these politicians and the unions are helping them to try to kill that other casino that was under a, a, a long-term training we and had. And they'll probably get it done. So here was the politician's theory, is that even though they're against Donald Trump and everything else, Donald Trump loves casinos, has his own casinos, and hates yeah. the Native Americans, okay. has always fought them. So they think that maybe we won't fight him on this NLRB stuff and it will unite with him quietly to, to kill off the Indians. Oh my gosh, that is... They've been killing off Indians oh, in right. this country that like for about white supremacist madness right there. Years. Oh, Wasn't that the case I where Trump was using the N-word about the Native tribes? How it's advantageous to have a casino in Springfield and one in Windsor so close to each other. I, the Native I, Americans I are like, that's not my problem. Native Americans no, 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 no. Norma has a good point. She, she has a point. But if I'm, if I'm Native American, I don't give a damn about what that is. <laughs> exactly, because that, that doesn't <laughs> that's affect not my, my sovereign that, land. Yeah. And, the issue and, to me isn't the Native American issue. The issue to me here that Norma's bringing up is this whole idea of relying on casinos for yeah. economic development. Because eventually, everyone builds another one nearby. So... But What's why do stake? we have this conversation when it's Native Americans? We don't say that mess with pharmaceutical companies. No, no, companies. I'm having this conversation with Bridgeport and MGM. In terms of the MGM casino, we want to give up $200 million a year we get from the Native American existing casinos and slot revenues to try to kill off this casino, which is what would happen, mm -hmm. in order to let MGM build it. Yeah. And my point is that they're claiming MGM will get us more money First of all, there's the whole ethics of undoing the Native American yeah. treaty. But separately also, it's this idea that we're going to build more and more casinos, and that's going to be our answer for jobs and revenues. But besides all yeah. the other problems like organized crime and addiction and preying on the poor, I don't think it's a long-term strategy because eventually everyone else keeps building a casino. I know, but you know what? Here's the thing, Paul. Nothing is a long-term strategy. No, I'm not against the Windsor one. I'm saying the Windsor one, we had the agreement they should go ahead and do it. I'm talking about the Bridgeport one. And about this idea of continuing to think more and more casinos are the answer. 
listen i i kind of agree with you too but guess what there are forces that are going to move this and it's going to it is happening right right and i i totally agree with you relying on these casinos is is gonna it's sort of a pitfall waiting to happen for connecticut when these these casinos stop actually Listen, making money. We we did the same thing with pharmaceutical companies. We put our, all our eggs in the basket of pharmaceuticals coming with the promise of jobs and da 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 da. And what do they do? They come, they incubate, and then they bounce. So how is the pharmaceutical industry different than the MGM casino people or or the insurance companies? They're not. Or, so one answer might be get rid of corporate welfare for the big guys. Raise enough money for government and instead build good mass transit and roads and schools I'm and safety. That. And then we have an environment where it makes sense for private investors to build up capital without our Finland. help. That's called Finland. That's Finland, Paul. You're talking about Finland. So we're going to Finland. I thought Marquise wanted to go to China. I'm, look, no. I'll take Finland. I'll take Australia without its guns. I'll take all of that. We're going to Finland for the for the light for the better better life. We We're going to China Rica? for sightseeing. Oh yeah. What about Costa Rica? Like no army and like, I know. I told and you. nice warm weather. That's where I'm retiring to. Okay. Before the dictators retire to Costa Rica. <laughs> well, we're on a journey. The journey will continue. I'm Pundit Friday. Everywhere we want to go. Thanks for joining us today on Pundit Friday in Dateline New Haven. Thanks to the most wonderful pundits in the media universe: Babs Rolls Ivy, Marquisa Ricks, Norma Rodriguez, and Harry Jarosz. And next week, coming down from the high of the mountain of cannabis business research, Joe Ugly will be back. (laughs) We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing "I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free" from the group CD. Samples. A plea for peace. Now we know what it's like to be free. We just got to remember to book our flight. Book your flight and fly free with us all weekend long here at WNHH, your home for community radio. And happy Black Panther weekend. (laughs) 